Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. And so when you think of a fake ID, most people, the instant thing they think of is back in like high school days when they're trying to get into some type of a club or something and they go make a fake ID in order to try to get in and and all of that. And that's not really what we're looking at today. You know, uh, I've got kids that are the ages of getting driver's license and learner permits and, and all of that. And so when you go to the DMV now, you can get an ID or you can get a real ID. You know, so you can pay five extra dollars, bring a couple utility bills, and now you don't just get an ID, you get a real ID. And it's got a nice little uh, star and a circle up, up at the top of it and will allow you to, to travel and, and all of that without having to have a passport and everything. And, and you know, in, in the world today, you know, the, I, I don't really understand what two utility bills and five dollars makes a difference as what is a ID and was a real ID. But in our life today, there are battles and things in, in our life that, that some people live with a lesser ID than what is really their real ID. And we're going to look at that in this series. And I'm going to start out with a, a passage of scripture that's in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 says this the eye is the lamp of the body. And so if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if the eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. And, and, and if then the light in you is darkness, then how great is the darkness? Now, when you look at this, you may think, like, this has nothing to do with ID. I don't, I don't get what this has to do with ID or, or anything until you understand that the main battle that really takes place for our ID, ID takes place within the mind. And some of you are like, Pastor Brandon, the word mind is not even in that thing. It says I, not mind. But when you go look up that word for I in the Greek, it's ophthalmos. And ophthalmos means the I, the physical I, but it also means the mind's I. And so when you look at that scripture, it, it, it said that if your I is healthy, then the whole body will be healthy. But if you think of it in the thing of if your mindset or your mind's eye is healthy, then your whole body will be healthy. Your whole life will be healthy. And when we truly understand our identity and understand it, not just it, you know it, it, with a little bit of head knowledge, but deep down inside in our mind's eye, understand who it is that God says that we are, then it changes our entire life to where our life begins to see, we see health and we see light and, and, and those things in our life because our mind's eye is right. In Proverbs, Solomon put it this way in, in Proverbs 23, 7. He says, for as a man thinks within himself, so he is. He, he, he puts the identity really on what we think about ourselves and who we think we are. Now, I've, I've watched this as I coach basketball and, and coach different 
things and, and stuff when, when our team goes into a game and they think like they're confident in, in, in what they've learned, they're confident in, in the offenses they've ran, in their skills and abilities. When they get out there, they play great and it looks, it looks good. They, they're aggressive on defense, they're aggressive on offense. It literally changes the way they play. But then there's certain times when they go into a game and their mindset isn't there. And their mindset is like, oh, we're gonna get beat. We're going to get stomped. And you know what happens? They get beat and they get stomped. Why? Because of the mindset. As they think, they, they begin to think I'm horrible or whatever. They begin, it becomes really like a, a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. It, it, they, they are, we're going to turn the ball over. We're going to do this. And it just begins to happen. And in life, it's the same way. If, if we don't truly understand who we are in Christ and we don't understand what God says about us, we won't walk with our real identity, we'll walk with a fake ID. And we have to realize throughout scripture, you will see time and time again that there was a battle for people's identities. And, and even to the point of, with the battle of identities, that God would change their name. But not only would God change their name, there's other times when the enemy would change the name of people. And I want to show you a couple of these things. One of them is a uh, a, a very kind of popular one. We know that Abram's name was changed to Abraham. Abram means father is exalt, a uh, father that is exalted, and that sounds like a pretty good thing. It, it, it's a good identity to to be exalted. But the word Abraham means a father of many nations or a father of a multitude. And if you remember what God would do, and he would speak to Abraham, he would take him out and say, you know, look at the stars and count them if you can try. And, and your descendants will be as great as, as all of those. And, and God was trying to get him to live with an expanded view of what God wanted to do in his life. Not limit him to just being the father of Ishmael, but to be the father of nations and be the father of a multitude. And so versus him being called Abram every time somebody talked to him, it was, it was Abraham. So that over and over, he's speaking his word, his truth over him. Same thing happened with his wife. So the name Sarai means princess. But, it, but that word princess literally meant more like princess of a, of a family, of a, of a household. But the word Sarah means princess or leader of a nation. And remember, the call was to expand just beyond their family. It was hard enough for Sarai to even believe that she would have a family and a household. You remember when the, the angels came and said, this time next year, you're going to be holding a, a child. She laughed. It was like, how is it that a woman at my age can, can give birth? Like, it was hard enough for her to believe that she could be Sarai. But then God wanted to expand it. No, I don't want you just to believe for Sarai that you can have a household. I want you to believe that you can be the, a princess or a leader of nations. And you go on in the same family line. And you have the, the grandson, Jacob, that is born. Where Jacob means deceiver or trickster. And we know he lived up to that name early on. 
He tricked his brother out of his birthright. He deceived his father into into receiving the blessing. And and so he was literally just living up to the name that had been declared over him. But then uh, when he was uh, afraid of Esau and he has an encounter with an angel of the Lord and he wrestles with him, he tells him, what's your name? And he says, my name is Jacob. He said, no longer will you be known as Jacob, but now you will be known as Israel which means the God who prevails or one who wrestles with God and prevails. God was trying to speak something over them to where they could believe for bigger things in their life, to where they wouldn't be limited by things that were spoken over them. But in the same way, you've got stories in the book of Daniel where the Babylonian king, when he takes them captive, he begins to change all of their names. You know, we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and that's what we know them as today, but that wasn't their Hebrew name. That was their Babylonian name. That, that the, the Babylonian king tried to change their identity. And when you look at these, you can see what, what, he, what he's trying to do. The, the Meshach's actual name was Mishael, which means which means who is what God is. Who is, or another thing is like, who is like Jehovah? There is none like Jehovah God. But he said, no, that's not, that's not how you're going to be known anymore. You're going to be known as Meshach, like who is like the moon God is. The little G God. Not the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth and the moon. But this fake God. Trying to water down and get them to believe less of themselves and talk down to themselves. Abednego's name was Azariah. Azariah means Yah has helped us. That Yah is part of the the name Yahweh. So it's talking about God, that God has helped us. And he said, your name is now going to be Abednego, which means a servant of Nebo. And Nebo, again, was, he was a god of vegetation. It was a false god of the Babylonians. Then Shadrach's name was Hananiah, his, which means that Yah has been gracious to us. And the name that the Babylonians tried to change it to was Shadrach, which means the command of Aku, which was the moon god. You see, everything that God was trying to do was expand the horizon, begin to believe for a greater identity. You're more than what you currently are. He was speaking blessing over them. He was calling them out to be better than what they are. But everything that the enemy was putting on them was trying to hold them back and trying to belittle and trying to lower the fact and trying to really take God completely out of the picture. The name for Daniel means that God is my judge. But Belshazzar, which is Belteshazzar, which is how he was known, means just protect the king. Every bit of it, trying to remove God from it, trying to belittle and lower the identity. And it's the same way that God, God is trying to call us up as sons and daughters and the enemy tries to Keep us down as, oh, you're just a sinner. You're just a failure. You're rejected. Nobody loves you. And listen, this is even the way that the devil fought Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was led to the wilderness. And, uh, and he, he was led not by the tempter to the wilderness. In Matthew 4, 1, it says he was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. 
And, and, and then in verse 3, it says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, then command these stones to become bread. So he, he, he's questioning, trying to get them the question like, Well, if you're really God, then you can do this. Second time he tempts him, it's the exact same uh, type of thing in, in verse 5. It says the devil took him to another place uh, along the holy city and took him to the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself down. And then he even quotes a little scripture to him to make it sound real nice and spiritual. For it is written, he would give uh, his angels cons orders concerning you. And on their hands, they will lift you up so that you won't strike your foot against a stone. I think it's interesting that sometimes when the enemy is trying to get us to believe less, he'll even bring the word of God to make it look like God is trying to, uh, trying to limit what we are and how we see ourselves. But it seems like a silly thing to come to Jesus and say, if you're the son of God. How many of you believe that Jesus knew he was the son of God? Like, he, he knew he was the son of God. He had been in heaven. He had watched the creation of the, the universe and, and all of those things. Like, you, you would think this isn't, isn't really that big of a temptation, except there's one thing that we have to realize here. That when Jesus left heaven, he emptied himself of his godhood. And he came in the form of a man. In Philippians chapter 2, he, uh, Paul tells the church, he says, you need to have this mindset or this attitude that was in Christ Jesus. You need to see yourself this way. Uh, uh, that, uh, that also, even though he existed in the form of God, he didn't uh, consider equality with God as something to be grasped. But Verse 7, but instead he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men. In other words, Jesus left his divinity and came to dwell as a human. He came in the form of man because Jesus was the ultimate example. If he was going to die for man, he had to be man. And, and if, if he was going to set an example of how we would live, it, it would be very easy for us to be like, well, yeah, he was man, but he was still fully God and he had all of his power and everything. Of course he can do that. But that isn't how Jesus, he emptied himself. And in fact, at the, in Matthew 3 is when you see that the Spirit of God came upon Jesus and led him because he was setting the example of what it is to live as a human, but being led by the Spirit of God. So now Jesus isn't just operating in the fullness of his godhood because he had emptied himself from those things. He's operating the same way that you and I are, that he is having to walk according to what God has spoken and not any other circumstance that he knows. Well, when did God speak that he was the son of God? In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, when he was baptized, it says, after he was baptized, Jesus came up out of the water, and behold, the heavens were open. He saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and settling upon him. And behold, there was a voice from heaven that said, 
This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, you see, this was what was spoken over him. This was the word of God that was declared over him. This is my son. I have pleasure in my son. And the minute that he walks away from this and he goes into the wilderness, how does the enemy come and attack him? Well, if you're really the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. If you're really the son of God, then throw yourself down. Because God's word says that he would send his angels to protect you. Listen, Jesus told a parable that tells really how this, this works. You remember the parable of the sower? I believe it's in Mark chapter 13 or Matthew chapter 13. He says that, that, uh, that, he, uh, that there is a sower who sowed the word of God. And he said, and, and, or he was sowing seed. And he said the birds came and ate it immediately. Or, the, or it, it took a little bit of root, but then the sun scorched it out. Or it took root and started growing up, but then the weeds choked it out. And then there was fertile soil, and that soil brought forth fruit. He's showing you the way that the enemy works. That when God speaks, because he said, his disciples are like, why do you keep talking in parables? We don't understand them, Jesus. I'm just saying it like we're, we're not getting it. He's like, okay, I'll explain it to you. The seed is the word of God. It's what God spoke. And as soon as the word is spoken, the enemy sins immediately to try to steal the word before it has time to take root. And depending on the condition of the ground of, that's receiving the word, you know, in this sermon, there'll be some of you that the minute you walk out of here, you have no clue what I spoke about. Some of you are like, what did the preacher preach on? Uh, he was talking about Jesus some, and uh, we were in the Bible at one point, and nothing, because the seed fell on the hard ground. Some of you will receive it, and like you'll be fired up and excited, like something's stirring on the inside of you. Like, yes, God, God has a greater identity. God wants me to believe him for more. And then Monday morning, you're going to be like, I can't do anything. This is horrible. I'm like, and it, that's the ground that it gets scorched out by persecution and things like that. Some of you would take it and you run with it. And weeks down the road, you'll still be going strong. But then you're going to start getting busy with life. Different trials, different struggles will start happening. And then what God speaks to you today will be choked out. But there'll be some of you that understand it completely. And it changes your life for the rest of your life. Because the soil was fertile and it was able to go down deep. And you were able to begin to see yourself the way that God sees you. You're able to recognize when the enemy comes in and tries to lie to you and tries to deceive you. See, the devil was really trying to get Jesus to just prove himself. If you're the son of God, then just, just prove it. Turn his stones into bread. If you're, you're the son of God, just prove it. He, he was trying to get him to question God. Even the third temptation, he wasn't trying to, he didn't say, if you're the son of God. 
But he was still trying to get him to question God and what God had spoken. Because in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, there's a, a passage of scripture that says, If you will ask of me, I will give the nations to you as, as your inheritance. And what does he do? He takes him up to a high place and he shows him the nations of the world. And he says, listen, if you would just bow down to me, I will give you the nations right now. Because your father hasn't given you the nations right now. But if you'll bow down to me, I'll, I'll give them over. Every step of the way, he's trying to come against Jesus' identity. He's trying to steal the word that God had spoken over him. He's trying to get him to question who God is and can we trust him. Jesus talked about this in, in John chapter 8. And I, these scriptures aren't going up there, but go read John chapter 8, 31 through about 45, somewhere around in there, and you'll see this interaction with, with the Pharisees, and, and it says that these were Pharisees who actually believed in Jesus. And he says, listen, you need to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And, and, he, and he's talking to them about that, and, and they're like, we've never been in bondage. I mean, you know, that's a lie. Like the, the, very, the nation of Israel, they're talking about we're sons of Abraham. But, uh, two generations after Abraham, they're in bondage for 400 years in Egypt. And then when they get out, there was, they were taken over by the Babylonians. They were taken over by the Assyrians. There were times when they were in bondage to the Midianites. There were times when they were in bondage to the Philistines. Like there were, and in this current moment, as they're talking about not being in bondage, you're waiting for the Messiah to come set them free from the oppression and bondage that they're in to the Roman government. Nope, that's not who we are. We've never been in bondage. And Jesus is like, I'm going to show you that you're in bondage. The person who continues to sin, they're a slave to sin. And you're of your father. Because you guys are looking for a way to kill me. And that's, that's your father coming out in you. Because your father, the devil, is a murderer. And he's been a murderer from the very beginning. And he says, and from the very beginning, he has been a liar. And he has been the father of lies. And from the very beginning, how did sin enter the world? How did the enemy get Adam and Eve to fall into sin? Let's go back to it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, The serpent was more cunning than all the other animals in the field that God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God said that you should not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, we know that that isn't true, that God didn't tell them you can't eat from any of these trees. He told them you can have anything you want in this garden except for one thing. You can't eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. So he's trying to change their impression of God. Because here's the thing. If God, if, if the devil can't get you to forfeit your identity in walking in who God says you are, then he's going to try to get you to not trust that what God tells you is true so that you can't believe that he is a good father who loves you and is truthful to you to where you'll forfeit your identity. And that's what he's doing here with Adam and Eve. God had given them dominion over the whole earth and said everything is yours. The only thing you can't have is this one tree. 
And then he comes and says, is, is this what God said? Trying to get him to question the word. He goes on and says, the woman said, no, from uh, the fruit of the trees in the garden we may eat. But the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, God said that you cannot eat it, eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now, here's the thing. God didn't tell them if you touch the tree, you'll die. It's not, it's not what he told them. He didn't speak that over them. She probably, Adam, in order to keep her away from him, like, don't even touch it or we're going to die. Like, stay away. Do not touch it. So here's a lie that she unawaringly has spoken. And the enemy pounces on it. Because she came in agreement with the lie that if I touch it, I'll die. And says, the serpent said, you're not going to die. And think about this. When they ate the fruit, did they physically die? They didn't. Because that's not what is it that spiritually they died because of sin and, it, you know, their eyes were open and all those things. But they didn't physically die. And he says, for God knows that when you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be open and you will become like God and you will know good and evil. He goes straight to it. God's just trying to lie to you. He's just trying to hold things back from you. He's trying to, lie. no, 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 no. God, he, he's just trying to ruin your life. He's trying to take away your fun. He's not, he's not a God that has your best interest at heart. He's not really for you. He's for himself. He just wants to be the only one who knows these things. And then verse 6, it says, The woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was delight to her eyes. And the tree was desirable to make one wise, so she took the fruit, she ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, I underlined a couple words in there. She saw the fruit, and it was delightful to her eyes. You remember the very first verse that we said? If the eye is healthy, the whole body will be healthy. If the way you see things is healthy, everything else will be fine. But when she began to see things the way that the enemy saw them versus the way that God had spoken them to her, it led to death of their relationship with God and them being cast out of the Garden of Eden. And this is exactly the way that the enemy works with us today is he wants to get us to see God as a liar, to see God as someone who's just holding things back from us, to see God as not trustworthy so that then when he speaks something about us or to us, we don't receive it and we're willingly settle for a half truth. 
And that's why Jesus said from the very beginning, this is the way that the enemy has worked. He's going to lie to you. But if you will hear the truth and know the truth, then that truth will lead to complete freedom in your life. And then Jesus said, and who the Son has set free is free indeed. Let's just be honest. How many Christians are still walking around living a defeated lifestyle because they've believed the identity that the enemy has placed on them? Because God says in Romans 8 that that we haven't received the spirit of fear again as to slavery, but instead we've received the spirit of adoption as sons. And if we're sons, then we're heirs. And if we're heirs, we're co-heirs with Christ. As, As sons, we can come and eat at the Father's table anytime. As sons, we can approach our Father not being afraid but coming to him, seeking what he wants. We can can trust that anything that he speaks that he's gonna do in our life, we believe that it happens. And anything that he tells us that we are, we'll believe it and we'll walk with it. my, My son, when he was young, I used to go in and We'd read his Bible and stuff at night, and I'd look at him, and I'd be like, son, you know you're a mighty man of God? He's like, yeah. Like, I know it. Why? Because he believes that what we've spoken over him is true. And so he walked in. He, like, there was a confidence, not, not an arrogance, not a, a, a conceitedness or anything like that, but a confidence in knowing Hey, if my parents said this to me and have talked this to me, then this is who I am. And this is exactly what God wants to do in our life. Like, read what the Bible says about things. And then ask yourself, do I have a hard time believing that I can be this? You know, we talk about freedom. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. And there's still so many people who believe that they'll never be able to be free from these things. They're always going to continue to be sucked. They're always going to continue to be pulled away and drawn away that they can't really find freedom in, in those areas. That's just, it's just their thorn in the flesh. It's just their cross to bear. Both of those phrases come straight from Scripture, don't they? Paul said he had a thorn in the flesh that had been placed there by Satan. And so it's no wonder that the enemy would be like, yeah, you're never going to be free from pornography. You're never going to be free from jealousy. You're never going to be free from bitterness. You're never going to be free. This is just your thorn in the flesh. This is just your cross to bear. 
And then we think we're just being the good Christian soldier. Jesus said, if any man's going to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I'm just taking up my cross of shame and guilt. But do you forget the other passages like in Romans 8 where it says, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? Do we forget the scripture that says that God has taken all of our sin and cast them as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us again? Do we forget the passage of scripture that says that we have an advocate with our Father through Christ Jesus, that if we sin and we confess that sin, then he is faithful and he is just to forgive us from all of those sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Past, present, future, he can wipe it all away. But how many believers are living as I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, 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 no. You're a son saved by grace. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a conqueror. You're not defeated. You're more than a conqueror through Christ who loved us. If God is for you, then who can stand against you? You are loved. There is nothing, not height, nor death, nor things to come, or things that have been that can separate you from the love of Jesus. No mistake you've ever made will ever separate you from the love of God. You are a son or a daughter of God. And if you have asked him into your life, then you are not just some sinner, some worthless person who has to struggle through life. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You're more than a conqueror. You're free. You're free indeed. You're loved. You're accepted. And it's time that we begin to walk with the authority and the identity that God has spoken over us. We don't have anything to prove. The devil tried to say, well, prove it, prove it, prove it. If you're the son, then prove it. If you're the son, then prove it. And Jesus said, I don't have to prove it because God already spoke it. I have nothing to prove. I am who he says I am. And if we begin to recognize our identity, we've got to just stop and ask God, what are the half-truths what are the lies what are the things that seem spiritual that I've accepted as who I am that are really just another name that the enemy is trying to get me to water down what God really wants to do in my life what is it that you say about me God thanks again for listening to hear more messages like this one be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iHeartChurch.online. We love you and have a great day.